Welcome to Notes from Your Acupuncturist, the podcast for anyone who's interested in acupuncture, complementary medicine, holistic health, and self-care. I'm your host, Alexa Bradley-Halsey. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by licensed acupuncturist Robert Hayden. Robert is based in South Florida and has been practicing acupuncture and herbal medicine for 27 years. He's also taught acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine for over 20 years and recently completed his doctorate. He writes a Substack newsletter called Clinical Mulch aimed at practitioners and advanced students of TCM. Today we're going to talk about some really fascinating topics related to herbal medicine and the modern applications of some classical theories of traditional Chinese medicine. And I can't wait to dive into these topics. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alexa. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. So I'm really excited to get into our discussion topics today. But first, I'd like for our listeners to get to know you a little. Obviously, you've been practicing for a long time, and you've also been involved in acupuncture education for many years and have helped train new generations of acupuncturists. So after 20 years in practice, you decided to go back to school and earn your doctorate, (laughs) which is no small feat. So first of all, congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, What motivated you to earn your doctorate after so many years in practice, and what was your area of study? Um, It's interesting because I think what motivated me uh, in the beginning was not necessarily the thing that (laughs) that ultimately I got out of it but that's Mm. you know like anything anything in life Um, I was just looking for something to uh, maybe give me you know more opportunities and in terms of teaching because many of the programs are moving towards first professional doctorate and if you want to continue to teach in those programs, mm-hmm. typically they're looking for someone with a doctoral level of oh, education. Okay. Yeah. So in order to kind of remain viable in terms of that aspect of my career, I thought it might not be a bad idea. I found a program that was a hundred percent online and, mm-hmm. you know, 90 some odd percent asynchronous. Mm-hmm. So it worked out well for me the school, unfortunately, during the middle of my matriculation there, uh, decided to close. And so there was, there was a teach out. So I, one of the last, I think, doctoral students from the ACTCM, but I, you know, went through the program and, you know, kind of charged through in two semesters to to get it all over and done with. Wow. Um, And one of the things that I wanted to do, first of all, the program uh, attracted me because it has a lot to do with uh, ac- it has a lot to do with academic writing, uh, trying to shore up the evidence base for acupuncture. There was a lot of learning about research, how to read research, and mm. about uh, writing case reports and things like that, which is all part of the the evidence base. And so it helped with my writing, which is mm. now kind of spilling over into my into my sub stack. Uh, and one of the things that I wanted to do was to be able to work on this thing that uh, I've been working on for a few years about what's called lurking pathogens, which I think we're going to talk about in, in a few minutes. Yes. And so I wanted to, I, I was pr- working on that anyway. And so one of the things that I wanted was at least if I'm going to work on it, I might as well... <laughs> you know, get some credit for it or something. Yes. So, you know, so it became my thesis, basically, it became the thing that I worked on in, in several of the of the courses. And so I spent, you know, two semesters basically doing writing case studies and writing theoretical materials around the lurking pathogens. So those two things, basically, uh, to to give myself more opportunities to teach in the future, and then also to just kind of get some credit for, for uh, writing the stuff that I was kind of working on anyway. Yeah, and um, I love the topic of lurking pathogens, and yes, we will get into that, which I can't wait to talk to you more about that. Um, and um, I, I, your Substack is, it's like academic writing, but accessible. Uh, it's not dry. So I feel like it takes these uh, these really high-level um, 
TCM theoretical topics and um, it presents them in an interesting way. So I feel like you're sort of bridging between academic writing and then um, writing in a way that those of us who are practicing don't feel like we're going back to school and reading a textbook again. It's, uh, I love your Substack and I encourage other practitioners to read it. It's really fascinating. I definitely want to talk about lurking pathogens, but first, so, so lurking pathogens are really a part of this theory, uh, which we call wind being theory. I want to talk about wind being theory and treatment strategies, but first I think we should start with a brief explainer for our listeners who aren't acupuncturists and have no idea what the heck wind being theory is. Can you briefly describe when being theory for anyone who didn't go to acupuncture school. Okay. <laughs> so basically in Chinese medicine, when we talk about Chinese medicine, we're talking about, uh, a, you know, approximately 2000 years of development. And so at different times of Chinese medicine history, of course, they had to deal with infectious diseases and epidemics. And very early on in Chinese medicine history, uh, there w was a series of epidemics and a practitioner who uh, formulated some very influential theories around how those uh, those infectious diseases attack and spread. And uh, he developed a theory which is generally called Shanghan or cold damage theory. And he wrote a book called The Classic and Cold Damage Shanghan Lun. And this was the standard for... Uh, uh, over a thousand years, about 1500 years, until there were some other epidemics in which those Shanghan Lun theories didn't seem to work quite so well. Mm. And so there was a new group of doctors, and this was around the time of the 1600s or so, 1700s, so quite late in Chinese medicine history. It was a group of doctors who uh, formulated a theory of a different type of pathogen, one that's not a cold pathogen like the earlier types, but is a warm pathogen or a group of warm pathogens that need to be addressed and treated uh, differently than the cold pathogens that had been theorized about 1500 years earlier. And so this later school is called the, the warm disease school or Wenping. Right. And, and so in Chinese medicine, we consider cold and heat pathogens. Right. Um, and I've always thought of it as that these, these are metaphors that were developed before there were microscopes and an understanding of microbes and how they affect the human body. They, these theories were based on observation, right? Yes. And uh, the, the idea of, of the climate factors being disease-causing agents um, kind of comes between the sort of theory of like supernatural influences, ghosts and demons and things, which I've also written about in the Substack, and then things like microbes. Uh, and one of the interesting things about the warm disease school is that the warm disease school includes people who uh, long before germ theory uh, understood this idea about diseases entering in through the nose and mouth, which was mm -hmm. different from what we had learned in Chinese medicine for so many years where diseases were supposed to kind of, you know, settle in through the skin and hair uh, in the warm disease school. They understood that, you know, there was, uh, you know, oral and nasal mm. contagion and uh, diseases entered in, in a little bit different way, which, Again, we now we know, of course, that's that's true, right? Uh, so right. we have these rhinoviruses and upper respiratory viruses, things like that. But at the time when these warm disease theories were being developed, I mean, that was a pretty um, cutting edge idea. Yes. Revolutionary, yes. Absolutely. And so according to Wenbing theory or warm disease theory, a pathogen enters the body through the mouth or the nose, and then it can... It can it has the potential to penetrate into deeper levels of the body, causing more severe illness at each level, correct? Yes. Okay. There's two different, uh, there's two different models that are mostly used. And one is sort of energetic layers of the body, 
and it's roughly divided into the chi layer and the blood layer. So the chi layer is really more kind of initial stage and functional types of disturbances. And then the blood layer is more kind of structural types of disturbances. Mm. And then there is also the theory of, so that's called the theory of the four levels. And then we have the theory of the three burners in which you locate the disease either in the area above the diaphragm, uh, in the sort of upper gastrointestinal tract, or sort of from the navel down in the bowels, et cetera, and the kidneys, uh, you know, things like that. So there's a, a, a way of locating the disease pathogen, the pathogenic process in three dimensions in, in mm-hmm. when being theory, uh, you can locate it sort of vertically with the three burners and you can locate it kind of uh, horizontally or in terms of depth from outside in with what's known as the four levels. Right, right. And then when we are talking about a treatment strategy, then we also incorporate that sort of three-dimensional understanding of where the disease is located. And then we're trying to sort of push it back out through the superficial layers. Right, exactly. And so with that, there's, you know, we use in classical when being theory, we uh, use herbal medicine Mm -hmm. and uh, herbal medicine, Chinese herbal medicine uh, to me is, is, pretty unique and pretty cool because we have this idea about herbs as having a kind of an intelligence. Uh, They Mm. go in a certain direction, different herbs because of the nature of their, their uh, temperature, uh, that their tastes, they have different tastes and the different tastes have different sort of actions. And so a spicy or an acrid taste is used to kind of push outwards it it makes people sweat for example like ginger or Mm -hmm. mint these uh herbs which have this very very you know there's a a lot of uh, volatile oils like aromatherapy right It, it really opens things up as opposed to something which would be like sour which would astringe things and hold things in so we have this whole way of combining herbs in such a way so as to you know, we, we can make things go up, out, down, in. Uh, and so different ways of combining herbs uh, can be used to implement these different strategies of sort of moving the pathogen from one layer to a more super, superficial layer to another mm-hmm. one and then out of the body. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear you talk about about that because, you know, of course, I've, I've been familiar with these these theories of herbs for a long time and the different properties of the herbs and you know their whether they ascend or descend and what channels they enter but i i I always talk to my patients about how acupuncture kind of sends a message to the body and calls the body's attention to an area of imbalance Um, but really herbs do the same thing in in the in the that innate wisdom that they have and how they guide the body Yes, like I say, they they have a a sort of intelligence in, in mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, and mm-hmm. they do you know you have some herbs which are are guiding types of herbs. Uh, you know, you you put something in there, jigang, chaihu, these different uh, types of kind of uh, spicy herbs, and they they make everything go upwards, right? And and you have mm-hmm. other herbs which can make things go down, and so they can focus the actions of the formula in a certain place and take, uh, you know, different, uh, it's kind of like a formula that has a certain action in a certain place, you can add certain guiding substances to totally shift the location of where you want that action to be. And so there's a, you know, it's, it's kind of like putting together, it's like putting together a, uh, a group for an expedition and then you give them a guide, you know, right. who's going to take them down the mountain pass or up to the top of the mountain or, you know, up to the spot where they can see everything or whatever, you know? So it's, you know, it's like you, you're, you're, it's sort of like team building in a way, right? Yeah. It's, it's like putting these different, in, you know, agents, intelligent agents together and then giving them a, a guide, which is going to give them a sense of direction. Okay. This, this, 
guide is going to take you over the hill to this place and then you can do your stuff over there. Mm-hmm. I, I love that analogy. And, um, and that's also why a, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner will never just prescribe a single herb. Like you, you, your acupuncturist would never just give you one herb for something, like one herb for headaches or you know whatever, because Chinese herbs just don't work that way. They, you, it's like you wouldn't get one acupuncture point from your acupuncturist. Probably. I mean, there might be some acupuncturists out there who just do one point, but most of us don't. And it's the yeah. same thing with herbs. Like they, they work synergistically and they're right. like, they're like a, a symphony. So for me, when I think about warm disease theory, I think about being in acupuncture school and like having to learn these theories and, and I knew I was going to be tested on it. And, um, and then I so, sort of learned the theories and then didn't, haven't thought much about warm disease theory or when being theory since then, but you're, you're using it, um, in modern applications. So I'd like for you to talk a little more about like how you see it applied in a modern setting. So, um, I am using, uh, warm disease theory and, uh, I'm doing it in a kind of unusual way because I'm, I'm applying it to acupuncture, which is mm. not traditionally how it's been applied. Mm. I apply it with herbs as well, but I, you know, most of my patients of course choose to get acupuncture. And so, um, I do it a lot with, with, uh, treating with acupuncture. And this is one of the, this was sort of the point of my, my doctoral work and, and this, the, what I'm currently talking about uh, on the Substack. So, you know, f- for years, I've taught warm disease theory in acupuncture programs and always kind of thought, you know, what's the point, <laughs> uh, you know, except that it's on the boards and people right. have to, you know, but I, I got interested in it over time um, because uh, it's, if you look in the literature, it is used in some cases. For example, when I was first in school, uh, I volunteered at an HIV clinic, and this was back before the the, the cocktails, right? This was mm. when when uh, people were were dying, and and mm. it was a, a pretty pretty dire thing at the time. And the clinic that I was working at. Uh, was founded by some people who'd written a book about treating HIV AIDS with Chinese medicine, and they framed it in terms of the four levels, which I, I thought was interesting. Really? Yes. Oh. And and so even back then, I learned that viral conditions oftentimes can be successfully analyzed and treated by using Wenbing theory. And then more in more recent years, uh, I've read a lot more about also autoimmune types of problems. Mm-hmm. So not only viral and post-viral, but autoimmune problems, inflammatory types of arthritis, uh, Crohn's disease, uh, mm-hmm. things of that nature, which can also be analyzed and treated according to one Bing principles. And so I started to kind of use those uh, in my practice a little bit. And then of course, COVID happened. And then, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly airborne infectious <laughs> warm pathogens are yeah, like everyone's business, interested right? <laughs> right? everybody's interested in this uh even then i saw more uh stuff about around shanghan lun than i i did around you know about around the, the cold damage diseases mm-hmm. than i did around around warm pathogen diseases because i think it it isn't really that wide widely studied in the west and so right. i took more of an interest in it and i wrote some things which uh i published myself on the internet and then a, an article that I published in uh, in the North American Journal of Oriental Medicine um, about taking some of these theories and translating them into acupuncture as well as some herbal strategies and you know at the time when COVID hit of course everything sold out right all of these right the yin chow san and everything sold oh I know, out, you know? we stocked up <laughs> yeah and, and 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 people couldn't get it so i you know, in studying it and in studying warm disease principles, I formulated a kind of an alternate strategy with formulas, curing pills, which basically is a, it's, it's a, a based on really, you can say it's based on triple burner theory, you know, warm disease theory. So um, I wrote a, a little article about that and published it and then wrote about that in the, in the North American journal also. And so 
um, you know, ways in which to kind of circumvent the supply chain problems right. by applying warm disease theory, right? So, so it paid off in terms of doing um, my treatments, and that, and I I treated some interesting cases in which I applied some of these theories, uh, and I wrote up wrote up those cases mm. in, in the doctoral program too. So. I've been, you know, over the last few years, kind of actively sort of combining the five-phase acupuncture style that I've been doing for over 20 years and now integrating it into this framework in which it, I'm also kind of putting it together with, with uh, four levels, three burners of the warm disease theory, one being. You're just a, a unifying theory of, of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I <guess>. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I just love that our medicine can continually be applied to new and modern diseases. And I think all of all of us practicing in this field have certainly um, been doing that over the last two years, as I think we're all treating lots of cases of long COVID. And, uh, you know, let, let's see what our medicine can do for this. And, and for me, it just it goes back to, um, to differential diagnosis. It's like, oh, what's the pattern I'm seeing right in front of me? Um, because the the theories that we learn, they can be re repurposed over and over again in new ways. And um, somebody, a patient can show up at my clinic with a, a, a condition or a disease I've never heard of, and that's okay. I can still treat that patient because I feel the pulses and I gather the information and I apply the theories that I have learned to treat that person. That's one of the things I love about our medicine. Yeah, you don't. Uh, you can treat things that don't have a name as long exactly. as they have, as long as they they have some. You you can elicit some sense of what it it feels like to them to be in their body, like right. signs, symptoms, and then right. you can look at their tongue, you can check their pulse, and you can make a treatment around yes. that. Yes, yes, yeah, it's very cool. I'd like to talk about lurking pathogens. Um, I, this is one of those Chinese medicine terms that I think are so interesting. I never learned about lurking pathogens in school. Um, but as I've read some of your writing, it really makes a lot of sense. So I would like for you to talk about lurking pathogens. What is a lurking pathogen? And how, how are you seeing it in, in the clinic? So a lurking pathogen is in warm disease theory, in warm disease school, a lurking pathogen is a warm disease pathogen that unlike most warm disease pathogens, when they first come into contact with the body, they come in through the mouth and nose, they come through the skin, however they come in, most pathogens will produce symptoms. You'll get a stuffy nose, you'll get a scratchy throat, you'll start sneezing, you'll start coughing, you'll get chills, you'll get fever. But for some people, usually people who we say have an, a, a sort of an underlying deficiency in terms of their ability to kind of resist diseases, when the pathogen comes into contact and enters into the body, it does not produce symptoms. Oh. And it goes through these energetic levels and gets stuck somewhere in the system. And then it hides out or it lurks, it remains latent. And while it's there, because it's a warm disease natured pathogen, it sort of starts to burn away at what we call the the body's yin or mm. essence which ha it has to do with your ability to you know stay hydrated your moisture level you know your uh endothelial tissues things like that the lining of your mm -hmm. of your body uh it sort of burns away at at the the inside of the body and at some point later on a few months maybe even a couple of years later something comes along another uh you know you, you get sick from uh, another uh, exterior pathogen or you have a very stressful time in your life mm -hmm. or uh some other kind of challenging situation comes about and then all of a sudden you 
get these like really weird symptoms out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you'll get heat in weird parts of your body, or you'll get these swollen lymph nodes, or you, you know, you're, you'll you'll start to get these unexplained fevers, night sweats, and things like that. And they're things that don't have an obvious trajectory from something that's been going on. Like you can trace back, oh yes, the you know I had this illness, and you know ever since then I haven't been the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is what's known as a lurking pathogen. It's something which has kind of been latent for a long time, and then something activates it, and then all of a sudden you've got all of these kind of weird, chronic, heat or damp heat types of symptoms, and what this corresponds to a lot of times in the literature are sometimes some of your chronic fatigue types of, of situations, um, fibromyalgia types of situations. Mm-hmm. A person has all of a sudden becomes very fatigued, their limbs become very heavy, mm-hmm. things of that nature. And so, you know, diseases, chronic diseases, which tend to kind of come out of nowhere and have this sort of heat or damp heat type of, of situation, one of the possible explanations in terms of Chinese medicine is this lurking pathogens theory. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So as you're talking about lur- lurking pathogens, I'm, I'm just picturing termites in a home. Like you don't see the termites come in, and but they're in there eating away at the structure of your home, just like the lurking pathogens sort of consume the yin uh, in the interior of the body. Um, and then you go to, I don't know, knock down a wall in your home to open up your bathroom. And then all of a sudden there's termite damage. Right. There's a thunderstorm and then suddenly there's a big hole that appears in your roof, you know? Right. Wait a a minute. This happened. (laughs) Right. Now do lurking pathogens, is it always, um, does it always occur in a situation where you don't feel the initial infection? So I'm thinking about something like like long COVID. Like, say someone um, has COVID and and they have the the COVID symptoms, and then they just continue to not feel well. Or maybe they'll their symptoms will resolve, and then a few months later they'll start to feel unwell again. Would that be considered a lurking pathogen, even if they did have symptoms initially? Yeah, it depends on it depends on who you ask. Okay, like, sort of like. Classic, classically, in terms of warm disease theory, that would not be considered to be a lurking pathogen. However, um, many uh, sources since then look at things which might better be called lingering pathogens okay. as being under the category of lurking pathogens. And so in some cases, it will be, uh, you know, a something where people didn't get, you know, completely better like sometimes uh, people will uh, get a, a, a heat pathogen and they'll take a bunch of antibiotics and, mm-hmm. and energetically in Chinese medicine antibiotics are very cold and so you know there's this idea that the antibiotics kind of cryogenically preserve the pathogen mm-hmm. until you know it thaws out and then comes back you know much oh much later right <laughs> zombies pathogens um, and then there's uh you know uh, some um some people will talk about uh uh viral uh, not viral uh vaccine reactions and things like mm-hmm. that as being under oh, the, the category uh-huh. of, of lurking pathogens. Uh, and so there's different ideas about it. So in the in the narrow sense, it, the lurking pathogen is one in which you have little or no symptoms. But I would say in the broader sense, yes, you could turn, term that a lurking pathogen. The reason being that in Chinese medicine, things are more or less defined by how you treat them, right? We right. always diagnose so that we can render a treatment as yeah, opposed right. to biomedicine where you have diagnoses, but you have no treatment. <laughs> right. We only diagnose for something in order to, in order to render a treatment. That's and so true. the mm-hmm. treatment in lurking as well as lingering pathogens is pretty much the same. It, it's basically whether the person felt the symptoms in the, in the onset or didn't, the idea is still the same. We're trying to sort of move the pathogen successively more superficial and trying to get them to a convenient exit where we can expel mm-hmm. the pathogen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah, I I never really thought about it that way, but but you're right. We, we do form a diagnosis for the purpose of then 
formula formulating a treatment right um yeah and um in in chinese medicine one of our we have eight treatment methods and or eight primary treatment methods and methods and one of them is um is expelling a pathogen through the pores through the mm -hmm. skin it, diaphoresis we bundle up and sweat and open the pores and get the pathogen out and so with a lurking pathogen i um if, if a pathogen is lurking really um, on the interior of the body you wouldn't do that diaphoresis first right you want to move it up through closer to the skin before you open the pores and sweat it out Yes, and I mean, so when we talk about the different levels, um, the, the different levels have like different, uh, especially the, the first two, let's say, the, the deeper levels don't really have an exit. Mm -hmm. But the first two levels, the more superficial levels, uh, one is the defensive level, the next one is the chi level. Uh, they have various places where stuff can get you know, pushed out. So I, mm -hmm. I call this the nearest available exit, you know, like yeah. when, you're on, when you're on an airplane and they say, look <laughs> for the nearest available exit. And so right. it's kind of the same thing. So if you have something in the, in one of the deeper levels, let's say the, you know, constructive nutritive level, the ying level, which is, which is fairly deep and has to do with affecting the heart and the consciousness. Um, one of the ideas is to kind of push the pathogen back up into the chi level and the chi level is kind of uh ripe with exits uh because mm -hmm. it, it contains the digestive system the urinary system right. and so um it's really to try and and when you're locating things in terms of the triple burner for example you know where's the closest exit you don't want to yeah. you know show the bandit out through the upper window <laughs> when he's right by the front door right, right. so right. It, so if if it's if the if the pathogen is in the lower burner but mm -hmm. still on the chi level uh it may be near the bladder maybe near the large intestine and so you want to usher the pathogen out that way so you have to kind of identify where the pathogen is and where the nearest available exit is. And then mm -hmm. you need to just shuttle them to the nearest available exit. It's, you know, remember the nearest available exit maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe behind, behind you. you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and that gets back into this theory of um, using this intelligence of the herbs to guide the action of the other herbs in a formula. And, um, and it also makes me think that, you know, one of our treatment principles we have again we have eight treatment principles well well none of the eight treatment principles are to kill the invading pathogen um we don't try to kill what has ever has invaded us we try to just get it out of the body yeah yeah let it back into the wild exactly <laughs> exactly well i would love to switch gears a little bit we've been talking about herbs a bit and i'd like to talk about another topic that you write about on substack which is this topic of ghost herbs this is another topic that i never learned about in acupuncture school i've been studying and practicing for a long time and until i started reading your substack I was unfamiliar with the concept of ghost herbs. Now we have ghost points um, in acupuncture, and we can we can talk about the ghost points a little bit. But why don't why don't you just tell us what are the ghost herbs? Well, so ghost herbs is kind of a term that I made up. Oh, you um, did? Okay, kind of, no wonder I never like, heard of kind it. Of like ghost, <laughs> kind, of, kind of like ghost points, right? We have ghost uh -huh. points, so why not ghost herbs? Um, so the the genesis of the idea came from uh, studying the the oldest Materia Medica that we have. A Materia Medica is a listing of the single herbs and what they're used for and whatever sort of energetic actions that they might possess. And so our earliest Materia Medica is what's known as the Shunnung Bunsaljing or the Divine Farmers Classic of Materia Medica. And it was um, written by... A, probably a mythical, it, it was not written by a mythical character, but the Shunung was probably a mythical character. The, the book itself was probably written by a Taoist adept in mm. around the Tang Dynasty. Mm. And it's interesting because when you look at this book, there are many herbs 
which are obsolete, which we don't really use in our Materia Medica nowadays, but there are many which we do. And it's very interesting to look at the functions of these herbs, because in some cases, it's the same thing we use it for today. But in some things, it's very different. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the big differences is this idea of herbs that are used to kill, repel, expel, ward off ghosts, demons, um, what's what are called goo toxins, which is a kind of a, a, a sort of a super deadly worm that's created by black magic, you know, all of wow. these kinds of all of these kinds of things which were then sort of purged from the materia medica, ah. especially around the time of, you know, the, the 20th century, the, mm. the Republic, and, and then later on, the Maoists uh, pretty much purged all this stuff out. You still had ghost indications even into the, the Qing dynasty. I'm now kind of going on, working on a functional translation of a, of a book of one of the warm disease masters on, on food therapy. Mm. And uh, he talks about, you know, certain types of water um, like warding off ghosts. So, and this was in, mm. you know, the 1700 or something like that. So it was really only very recently that sort of the ghosts got swept out of, of Chinese medicine. And right. so um, one of the ideas about the ghost herbs series is to kind of look at these herbs that we use today, herbs that are more or, or less common substances that we deal with every day but have these old paranormal indications mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. i mean part of it is i you know i i've got like the sun and three planets in scorpio so i'm attracted <laughs> to these working <laughs> pathogens and ghost herbs and things like that you know the halloween kind of thing um, but but i thought it was interesting because it, it, it's really i don't have any answers with the ghost herbs thing it's more like asking a lot of questions like yeah you know the different ghost herbs is there anything that sort of ties them together is there you know like what what are ghost diseases? What do they look like? You know, do we still have them or whatever? It's interesting because I taught uh, herbs for uh, a few years at the, the Academy for Five Element Acupuncture. And the Five Element style, they have possession. They, mm-hmm. they, they treat ghost possession. Mm-hmm. And so there are still some acupuncture styles that do treat those kinds of things. But they're they didn't really look at the, the divine farmer and the, and the, the ghost herbs and such. So, you know, I sort of took it upon myself as a project to kind of put that, you know, put that together. So the idea is in a way, and it's interesting because of some of the feedback that I've gotten, I've gotten people who've written me about the ghost herb articles and saying, wow, this has really made me interested in studying herbs again. Right. Mm -hmm. Because in a way there's all this kind of like, weirdness and mystery and things like that that's in that's in our medicine yeah and having just been through a, a doctoral program which is all about research it's all mm-hmm. about evidence base it's all about I mean let's face it integration with corporate healthcare. right um it's I I found it to be kind of nice and refreshing <laughs> to go back into all this yeah. Kind of like, you know, paranormal, kind of weird, you know, geez, what is this stuff? And, mm-hmm. you know, wow, I, I prescribe Mushyang all the time, but I never realized that it killed hundreds of ghosts. Right. <laughs> well, well, you know, so much of acupuncture can't be explained rationally. Um, and so, you know, why shouldn't it be the same with herbs, too? Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Mushong. That's one uh, particular herb that you have written about, um, which I, you know, I just really wasn't familiar with these properties of Mushong, which is a very commonly prescribed right. herb to aid digestion. And it's often added to a formula, especially a formula that has some like really sort of rich cloying herbs. Right. Mushong, it's added to just make it more palatable and make it easier on your system. It's very fragrant. I just wrote down some of the things that you talked about. It treats evil chi. It treats being drenched by rain and dew. It staves off being awakened from your dreams by nightmares. I mean, this stuff is really interesting. First of all, 
can you say more about what evil chi is? Well, evil evil is really just uh, any pathogenic chi. So the, the okay. idea of, of evil chi, because we, we use the term xie to mean like wind cold and damp or any, mm-hmm. any kind of pathogenic chi. So pathogenic chi. Okay. Right. Okay. It's not a chi with evil intentions necessarily. Um, no, it's, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's any kind of pathogenic any kind of pathogenic chi, that's the word that we use is xie chi. The aspect of it staving off being awakened from dreams by nightmares is really interesting. And as you point out, this herb is used in guipi one, which is very commonly prescribed um, for patients who have trouble sleeping. And um, there are other herbs in that formula that also help with sleep and help calm the shen. But I, I wouldn't have thought of mushang as right. one of the herbs that does that. But it does, according to the divine farmer. So I think that's really fascinating. And then another herb that you write about is an herb that I have never, I don't think I ever learned this herb in school, Shu Chang Ching. Yeah, Shu Chang Ching. Oh my gosh, this is, this sounds like a an herb that I want to like have coffee with. <laughs> I mean, this is like so interesting, some of these indications. Um, so it's indicated for pain and itching and rabid dog bites, which is very specific. But then um, Shen Nong's description gets really interesting. It says it's, um, it treats demonic infection, spe- spectral entities, and evil malign chi. It kills the hundred specters. It treats goo toxin, old bogies, rapid quang mania with running around erratically and crying and wailing and dazed absent-mindedness after damaging grieving. I mean, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is an interesting herb. Yeah, I wrote that it's, if you, if you uh, cast a teenage girl as the plant, she could have her own Netflix series. Yes. Yes. And you know, I think that like as a side project, you need to develop a Netflix series about the ghost herbs. I think that would be really fun. Yeah, um, it's it, it's interesting because uh, Shu Chang Ching is is uh, you know it's a wind damper, which is mm. you know basically now we use it as an antiarthritic herb, but it's also used you know for for fire toxin, blood stasis, and things like that. But it's Obviously, there's a lot more to it, or at least there was a lot lot more more to it in in Shenong's time. Uh, And so, you know, can you, I guess one of my questions that I'm wondering is, you know, can you put it into a formula to treat something where the person is, uh, has some kind of trauma or something. For mm-hmm. example, uh, when we were treating people in, in um, the five elements school, uh, we had people who had some pretty, um, pretty severe PTSD. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we were using uh, pretty successfully were, were blood stasis herbs uh, because oh. of, I think the idea of, you know, treating trauma as, similar to the you know physical trauma you use blood stasis herbs for like old non-healing traumas and things mm-hmm. like amber in which you know amber mm-hmm. is a is an herb in which an insect has been preserved in this fossilized resin and so the this idea that you know it sort of captures something yeah. of your old self in it and so we we talked about that a lot in, in the you know five elements school in terms of treating with ptsd but uh never i mean i learned about Xu chung ching from some of my colleagues uh chinese colleagues who i used to teach with mm-hmm. uh who would you know uh ask for certain herbs you know when i was running the herb program they'd ask for certain herbs to use in the clinic that we didn't have and so oh. there was one in particular from beijing who really really liked to use Xu chung ching so i learned about the herb mostly from mm-hmm. him and uh you know very useful herb yeah. and uh and uh quite good for for wind damp uh where you have heat and you know and or fire toxins things like that yeah i it, it's interesting that you mentioned ptsd because uh, i was actually thinking about that as you were talking and I remember in school learning about the ghost points and, uh, you know, these conditions like phlegm fire harassing the heart and uh, ghost possessions. And, you know, sort of what I learned in school is that these were these were mental health diagnoses before there was a modern understanding of mental health. Um, And so someone who might be 
diagnosed nowadays as paranoid schizophrenic would be diagnosed as being possessed by ghosts or, you know, goo toxin or whatever. Um, and um, so I guess I, I just had understood it as sort of a, like an unevolved understanding of uh, mental health, but um, I can see that these, these herbs still have something to offer and like PTSD is, is a prime example. I mean, this is a, this is a, um, it's just a condition that lots of people in modern life suffer from. And, um, so why do we have to make it seem so clinical, uh, when we can, if, if it makes sense to talk about it in terms of the hundred specters and the old bogeys, um, you know, maybe that's what it feels like to the patient. So we can, we can still talk about it in these ways, in these old ancient ways and that's okay yeah and i mean one of the interesting things is so for example when we're talking about um about something like shu chang ching um these wind damp types of of herbs it's kind of like this sort of thing that comes out of nowhere like all of our wind pathogens come out of nowhere and then mm -hmm. it just kind of like lodges right wind yes. damp gets stuck and um and that is the kind of i think in terms of treating a lot of these kinds of of cases going beyond the clinical definitions and things like that there's just a certain mm. stuckness mm. and so mm -hmm. looking at it not necessarily for the chemical profile that will increase the serotonin or yeah. looking at it from all these different ways, but just looking at it for how is the person stuck and what can we use to kind mm. of get them unstuck? What can we use to kind of make things flow freely? Is it in the blood? Is it in the tissues and the muscles? You know, is it the phlegm around the heart? Where is it that things are getting stuck and not flowing freely? And it and it's really easy to lose that perspective when you're looking yes. at research and you're looking at, you know, trying to, um, you know, figure out what the chemical constituents of right of uh, you know shu uh, chang ching or uh, <laughs> any any other herb you know what's what's in it chemically what kind of chemical changes are are happening yeah uh, looking at it this this is one of the things that i i value highly about chinese medicine and that i think i'm kind of sad sometimes to see so many sort of turning away from it because um we offer a different way of looking at the situation. And oftentimes you can get into a sort of a tunnel vision if you're just looking one way at it. And whether that be, you know, the way of, of scientific research or any other way, sometimes it's good to look at it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And we have many different ways of looking at the problem, even within Chinese medicine, I treated a, a oh, case yes. of, I treated a, a, a psychotic, a case of psychosis. It was one of my lurking pathogen cases. It actually turned out to be a lurking pathogen and behaved as a lurking pathogen would. And so, you know, in, in applying warm disease theory, I was able to successfully treat a case of, of psychosis with that. And, and that's basically just by looking at, as you say, what's in front of you and mm -hmm. treating it accordingly. So mm -hmm. being able to look at things from a diff from different angles, using different lenses, different filters, and being able to understand it in a different way, maybe a new way is, I think, one of the strengths of our medicine and something I hope that we don't lose. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And although these things we're talking about today, lurking pathogens and ghost herbs and warm disease theory, these are just a few examples of the complexity of our medicine. Sometimes to me, as an acupuncturist, I've been practicing for 17 years and still sometimes it feels like there's more I don't know compared to what I do know. And, and what you're talking about just now also, um, this gets into something that you shared on Facebook recently. And I'm, I'm going to summarize some of what you said, but I'll put the entire 
quote in the show notes because I think it's um, it's worth repeating. And especially for those of us who are practicing this medicine, we need to keep this in mind. You say that our medicine is so complex and unique, and yet so often we try to promote it merely just as a healthy alternative to what's already out there. So like we say that acupuncture treats pain without the side effect of pain medications or that herbs are gentler on your body than drugs. And like those, those are true. You're right. Um, you know, we're, we're right when we say that, but there's so much more to the medicine. And, and you say, this is the part I'm going to, I'm going to quote, you say, but don't go throwing all your eggs into the reductionist basket. You're limiting the potential of something that can give us so much more. It's like finding Excalibur and using it to cut weeds in your yard. What we have is unique. Don't lose sight of that. And I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's a good reminder to all of us who love this medicine, whether we're practitioners or patients who enjoy the benefits of acupuncture. We have something that's very special and unique, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. Absolutely. This has been such a fascinating conversation. I feel like I have... Uh, taken a step back in time to acupuncture school in a good way, in a good way. Um, yes. Without all the trauma. <laughs> without, right. Without, without be having to be tested on it later. Uh, yeah. This has been so interesting. Thank you for letting me talk about this stuff. It's usually just bouncing around in my head. And so I try <laughs> and get it out in the sub stack, but it's, it's always great to, to talk with you. And, uh, and thank you so much for having me. Robert, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. As I mentioned, Robert practices in South Florida at Presence Center for Acupuncture. You can read his newsletter, Clinical Mulch, on Substack. And if you're an acupuncturist who's interested in learning more from Robert, he will be creating some continuing education content in the near future. So subscribe to Clinical Mulch to be notified of his continuing education offerings. We will link to everything in the show notes. To all of you listening out there, thank you so much for joining us today. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a rating or a review. And if you want to join the conversation, please subscribe to Notes from Your Acupuncturist on Substack, where you can comment, ask questions, participate in discussion threads, watch videos, and read more of my reflections on acupuncture, acceptance, healing, and self-love. Until next time, this is Alexa Bradley-Hulsey, your acupuncturist, signing off with love and gratitude.